Ladies and gentlemen, dreamers and doers, seekers of purpose and fulfillment, welcome to Passion on Purpose, the podcast that sets your soul on fire and ignites the spark within you. I'm your host, Steph Hilfer, and I'm beyond thrilled you're here. Passion on Purpose features leaders, experts, and sometimes me on center stage. We put the spotlight on visionaries, entrepreneurs, leaders, experts, and everyday heroes to share their journey of self-discovery, enthusiasm, and unwavering determination. We'll explore how they use their passion and purpose to fuel their brand. Alongside our leaders, we'll provide practical tips, actionable advice, and wisdom from our experts across various fields. So if you're ready to unleash your inner fire, shake off the doubts and insecurities, and pursue a life of purpose with unbridled enthusiasm, then let's dive in. All right, guys, we are back with another episode of the Passion on Purpose podcast. And today, my expert on center stage is Nick McGrew with Polymath Legal. Uh, Nick, thank you so much for being on. Of course. Thank you for having me. Very, very happy to be here. Yeah, I have to share. Now, I don't want to set the tone that all of my experts are going to be from my high school, but I have to share, (laughs) Nick and I went to high school together. And so when I was thinking about my roster for this season and having experts on stage, um, you know, what we're going to talk about today are all things that my clients are asking me about. And so I started researching and then like a, like a dumb, dumb that I am, I was like, wait, I know something who does this. (laughs) And so I just, I'm so glad that I have you in my world that I could just call, call you up and say, Hey, can you come on the show? Cause I know we're going to get a ton of value from you today. Yeah, definitely. I always love showing up for great people and you're obviously a great person. So like I said, I'm happy to uh, be here to share my knowledge and hopefully enlighten your list, your listeners on a few things. I, I know from your content alone, guys, I'm going to make sure at the end, um, when you guys are wrapping up the episode, or if you're checking it out now while you're listening, check the show notes out. Nick does a phenomenal job at giving out like little like snippets of information and tips and tricks about everything in his world. And so I would definitely check him out, but let's dive in. Let me give you, I want to give you a little snapshot. This is a little different from our standard format for leaders on center stage. So I want to make sure that you guys stick around because we have some really good things we're going to hit. So first off, we're going to talk about business entities. I'm not even going to try to do a little summary of this because I'm going to leave it to the expert, but we're going to talk about business entities. What entity should I choose? When do I do it? How do I do it? Who do I talk to? Most importantly, like how do I do it right? Such a fear of so many like business owners. Secondly, um, the, one of the top questions I get asked after, you know, solidifying a brand for a client is, okay, I love it. How do I protect it? You know, do I trademark it? Do I get a, you know, what, what are the things I do and how do I go about it? So we're going to talk about trademarks and then the, I don't know, you know, these are all in random orders guys, but another question I get asked all the time is how do I get startup funds? Like, can I do a Kickstarter for my idea? I'm so passionate. I'm so driven to do this business, but I don't know where to start when it comes to the financials and to actually having capital. So that's what I've asked Nick to drill down for us today. So stick with us. It's going to be a good show. We're going to go. All right. It's going to be a great show. Great show. Good show. (laughs) Phenomenal show. All of the things. Um, What I like to call is it's going to be full of golden nuggets. That's where we're at. Okay. So like I said, truly, um, I have uh, so many clients who come to me who truly are at that very startup stage of this idea, this passion. And, you know, obviously they're starting in a great place in my opinion, because they want to build a brand. They want to make sure they connect with their audience, but they're also in the back of their mind, not business people. They're not legal. They're not financial. They are entrepreneurs. So it's always, do I have to get an LLC? What is this S corp? How do I know what to do? Like, and, and so tell us like the best things to be thinking about when it comes to forming an entity. Okay. Yeah. So first thing I will say is that there is everybody's business. Everybody's situation is unique. So there's not necessarily a one single answer, but I'll give you the teaser that oftentimes like 90% of the time for us, the answer is often going to be LLC. 
Um, but let, we'll talk about kind of some of the reasons why you would choose LLC or other entities and things you should be thinking about when trying to select your entity. So number one, I'd imagine that if you're making a new business, while we are talking about passion, most people are at least trying to make the business pay for itself and probably trying to earn some money. So one thing that you want to be thinking about when you're creating a business entity is how is it going to be taxed? And so uh, for the different business entity types, there's what's called double taxation, which as it sounds, you get taxed twice. Essentially, your company gets taxed. And then anything that you receive from your company is also taxed as personal income. Um, most people would not like double taxation, including myself. So the other area that we have is what's called single taxation or sometimes called pass-through taxation or sometimes called partnership taxation. All different ways of saying we get taxed one time. So what that means is that the company is going to make money, but then it's going to pass that money down to the owners and they're going to be taxed on their personal income. So the company itself does not pay an income tax. And so the owners pay all of the company's money as their own personal income tax, but you're taxed once. So taxation is one thing you want to be thinking about when you're choosing the entity. And I'd say the second big one is liability. If something goes wrong, that liability answers the question of who's responsible for the company's debts. So if I have a storefront and I've got a lease and maybe I have to move or go out of business, who's going to be responsible for the remaining months on that lease? Or let's say that I have a storefront and somebody comes in and slips and falls. And it doesn't have to be just storefronts. There's liability that can come many ways. But if you're concerned about, okay, if my company, especially with a new company, it's probably not going to have a whole lot of funds to pay for if it injures somebody or if there's a breach of contract or something like that. So then the question is, okay, do we go after just the company? And if the company can't pay, we say tough luck. Um, if so, we call that limited liability. Limited liability means that the company and the company alone is responsible for its obligations, whether monetary or being sued or what have you. And if the company can't pay for it, that's it. You know, you might lose the company. Um, you might have to liquidate everything and the company is gone. But, you know, let's take we can say Jeff Bezos could have a company that owes a thousand dollars and say the that single company doesn't have a thousand dollars. Tough luck. Jeff Bezos keeps all his billions and billions and billions of dollars because the company and only the company is responsible for that, not the individual owners. So that's what we want because it'd be bad for us to you know, work on the business, do our savings, get our retirement in place, get our home ready, and then some one small thing goes wrong with the business and now all the work we've done uh, is kind of up for grabs. So we want limited liability. The other way it goes is the, the opposite of that, where it's unlimited, meaning that we sell the company off and if it can't pay for everything, then we can start coming for your savings accounts, your other assets and things like that. So we don't want that. So those, those I'd say are the first two things you really want to be thinking about when you're choosing an entity. How are you going to be taxed? And typically we want single taxation. And then what's the liability like? Uh, and typically we're going to want limited liability. Um, questions so far. I know I'm, I'm, I could, I could, like I said, I could talk about this all day for hours on end. So no, I think that's great. So like, I'm going too crazy. No, you're going great. I love it. So it's like first and foremost, think about how you're going to be taxed, and then secondly, where is the liability? And I think those are the things that heart-centered entrepreneurs, you know, kind of think, oh, I'll, I'll deal with that later, right? So I love that we're going right on in on probably some of the big pain points and worries a lot of people have. Yeah. No, you're, you're doing great. And you're hitting on this is that these are things that we don't necessarily want to talk about. We don't we don't want to think about these things going wrong. But the reality is for some businesses, it's going to go wrong. And so if you happen to be one of those businesses, we want to at least make sure that you're in a place where you can come through that in the best position possible. Um, so, yeah, taxation and liability are the two big concerns. And then two smaller ones are how is management and control? Um, and then the, the fourth one is are, what's your ability to sell the company or not? So regarding management and control, some entities such as corporations, they require very strict management. You've got to have annual meetings. You've got to have votes. You've got to have a board of directors. And when decisions are made, you've got to show that you've worked through all the red tape in the pipeline to get that decision approved before you actually take action. Uh, the other way you have is flexible management. Sometimes you might say, you know, for certain areas, we want protocols in place. In other areas, we just want to be able to go and do what we want to do. Or you might say, you know what? 
I want to be able to go and do what I got to do to make the business run. And so I want no protocols in place. Um, either way, with flexible management, you can put some protocols or no protocols. And you're typically not required to have, in most situations, not required to have meetings or minutes or things like that. So it's going to allow you to run the business a lot smoother. Um, but I will contrast that because some people often ask, you know, why would I ever want strict protocols? Um, and I say, well, look, what if you're the investor? What if you, you know, I've heard stories, not really look deep into it, but I've heard stories about startups having like multi-million dollar parties. And so if I was one of the VCs that invested on that, I'd say, wait, you know, I want there to be protocols before we spend maybe 500 grand, you got to run this up the ladder or a million dollars or whatever that number is. But I want, I might, it might be worth it to me to have that red tape that's going to slow things down because at least I know my investment and my money is going to be protected that way. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of doing, oh, what was that? You said VC, venture capitalist? I'm going to like reach yes, here. Sorry, okay. yes, venture capitalists. So venture okay, capitalists are, these are, and we're going to talk about finance a little bit later, but venture capitalists, these are basically people or groups of people where they've got a lot of money and they're searching for businesses to invest into. And right. so with venture capitalism, they lose a whole lot. Like they, I've talked with some and they're like, yeah, if we can, you know, win on like one out of 20 deals, they're doing a good job because when they win that one, they're getting like a 5,000 X return. So it makes up for all of the losses that they made. But yeah, but that, makes sense why, that makes sense why like you would actually, if you are planning on going into a, into a situation where you're going to have, you know, investors or VCs, it sound cool mm -hmm. now, VCs, then that's, that makes sense. They're going to want to see some checks and balances to kind of, like you said, who want, I mean, a million dollar party sounds awesome, but yeah, right. investor, investor, probably not so much. Okay. Yeah. Fantastic. So that's the management. And then this other small part is just the ability to transfer. So how, how difficult or easy, or is it possible even for you to sell some or all of your business? Um, and typically with that, in most cases, it's just going to be by um, agreement for the most part. So we talked about taxation, liability, management and control and transferability. Those are, from my legal perspective, the four things you'd wanna be thinking about when you're selecting an entity. And so as we went through some of them, you know, most people would say, yeah, I don't want unlimited liability. And so oftentimes I get the question, it's like, why would anybody ever choose that? Yes. <laughs> so you're not actually choosing, you're not able to piecemeal and say, okay, I want this type of taxation, this type of liability, this type of control. Instead, the entities kind of come prepackaged and so mm -hmm. you find the entity that's going to work best for you. And sometimes there may not be a perfect mix and you just got to find the one that works the best overall regardless. Yeah. So with uh, so two kind of default base level types of entities or ways to conduct business is a sole proprietorship and partnership. And they are very similar um, for the most part. Essentially, a sole proprietorship is one person doing business by default automatically before you file anything. If you're one person doing business, by default, you're a sole proprietorship. If you're one, if you're two or more people doing business, haven't filed anything, again, by default, you're a partnership. So with both of those, there is unlimited liability. So if the partnership or the business itself can't pay for its debts, then you, the partners or the sole proprietor, are responsible for that. Um, so we don't like that part. But the taxation is great. You get taxed one time. So all the money comes through, flows to you, and you have one taxing event. Regarding uh, management and control, typically it's pretty flexible. As a sole proprietor, you're the only business owner, so you can do what you need to do. As a partnership, you can make it flexible, but typically it's going to be by agreement. Then with transfer, um, sole proprietorships, technically a sole proprietor is the business and the law is not going to allow you to sell yourself. Um, right. But that's really just a technical thing because you, you can achieve the same thing. So. If I had a sole proprietorship and I wanted to sell it, I can't technically sell it because the business is me, Nick McGrew, but I can sell all of the assets. I can sell the trade names, um, customer lists, all that sort of stuff. So essentially I've achieved the same thing, but technically I didn't sell the company. I just sold all the assets instead. Uh, and with the partnership, those you can sell, assuming that your partnership agrees, uh, uh, agreement allows you to. So those are the kind of two base level without doing any filing. If you just start conducting business, uh, you're going to fall into one of those categories. Now, if you want to step it up and be a little bit more formal and say, you know, what, I want to make a choice and potentially have some better options. We've got the other two base uh, type of entities are LLCs and corporations. LLC stands for limited liability, corp uh, limited liability company, excuse me. 
So I'll talk about corporations first. When we were talking earlier about um, double taxation, where the company gets taxed and then the owners get taxed, that essentially, in most cases, is only gonna apply to corporations. And part of the reason for that is corporations are legal people. Um, we call them legal people, whereas you and I would be natural persons or natural people. But okay. a corporation is a legally is a person, but it's a person on paper. Um, so just like you and I have to pay taxes, corporation has to pay taxes as well. So that the corporation is taxed. And then when it gives distributions or dividends to the owners, say that it's you and I, we get that money and then we're going to pay our normal tax as well. So corporations have double taxation, which is not so great, but you get the trade-off that you have limited liability protection. So if the company can't pay for its debts, that's it. You lose the company, but you live on to play another day. Um, now with corporations, because it's a person, but only a legal person on paper, um, it requires very strict and formal management. So you do have to have a board of directors and have annual meetings and lots of protocols and things before you're doing things. Because the law says, look, this is a person, but really it's gonna be controlled by other persons. So we wanna make sure it's not just one person kind of going off and doing whatever they wanna do. So corporations do have strict management. And one thing that's important to note, if you don't follow those uh, uh, management protocols, getting approvals and meetings and that sort of stuff, the law might do something that's called piercing the corporate veil. The corporate veil is basically that limited liability uh, shield. So to where you don't lose personal debts or personal assets, only company assets. But the law says, you know what? If you're not treating that corporation like a separate person, then we're not going to either. And so if you are indeed, you know, not treating it like it's a separate company and separate from yourself, then when it comes time to pay bills, if the company can't pay for it, the courts will say, you know what? Well, you didn't treat the company separately when you were supposed to. And so now we're still not going to treat the company separately from you. And we're going to tie you all together. And now you are personally responsible. So that's one thing that's very important is that if you do have strict management, it's very important to follow that. Otherwise, you're losing a lot of the benefits that you would have from a corporation. Yeah. So we've talked about the partnership and sole proprietorship, which both have um, single taxation, which is great, but both have unlimited liability, which we don't like. Then we mm -hmm. talked about corporations, which have the double taxation, which we like, but it also, or sorry, yeah, we, which we don't like. <laughs> double taxation yeah. we don't like, but the limited liability protection, which we do like. like. And so years ago, somebody said, oh my goodness, I wish, I, you know, we don't like having it to where somebody has to be personally liable. We don't like having it to where we have double taxation. I wish we could just have something where we have the best of both worlds. And so Wyoming, the state of Wyoming said, you know what, we got something for you. And Wyoming came up with the limited liability company. I think it was like around 1978 or so, late 70s. Um, and they were the first ones. And at first the IRS was like, wait a minute, how do you have limited liability and single taxation? I don't know about that. And so many states were like, oh, I'm not sure if we're gonna do this or not. And then the IRS said, well, we're looking into it. So for now, whatever your state says, just go with it. And so more states started adopting it. And then finally, I think it was like in the late eighties or so, the IRS said, look, if your state says limited liability protection and single taxation, we'll just follow it. And so after that, um, most states adopted it. So uh, around the mid 90s is when LLCs got widespread adoption. And so LLCs are great. And uh, you have limited liability protection, which we love. You've got single taxation, which we like as well. The uh, management and control, you can be strict or flexible. It's really a choice. And they're yeah. also pretty uh, transferable as well. So that's why I said, you know, 90%, we've probably formed thousands of entities at this point. I, I still would say 90% of them, if not more than that, are probably LLCs. It's not always perfect, but for many, many, many situations, LLCs work very well. Okay. So I think that's a really great overcap or overhaul, like over, like run over. Why can't I use words? Good <laughs> overview. There we go. A good overview of kind of your options. And what I love is that you kind of said by default, whether, you know, I say this a lot around branding, like you have a brand, whether you take control of it or not. And what I'm hearing from you is you have an entity, whether you take control of it or not, because you're either falling in that sole proprietor or partnership, right? Yep. So and, then if you, you, and then if you don't want to be that, then you, you have to file something to be an LLC. Exactly. Corporation. Then you have to yeah. take action. Exactly. So mm -hmm. it's like, listeners, if you are hobbyist, business, startup, haven't gone through any of the legal stuff, like 
it's something you got to get on, right? You got to yep. take control, Definitely. choose an entity. So for those, for anyone, right, who's still at that stage of trying to, well, two, twofold question, whether they're trying to establish their business entity for the first time, or they're looking, this kind of could be too hard of a two-part question, or they are an entity, but maybe they've been thinking that they need to switch entities. Who, how do they do that? Do they talk to a professional such as you? Are there online entities? What's the best way to figure this out as an entrepreneur who's trying to do it alone? Or maybe not fully alone, but you know, how, how do we start? Yeah, so if you're starting, you know, tune into this podcast, for instance, get educated um, because the choosing the entity and granted, I know that I'm in this a lot. So I'm going to say, oh, yeah, it's, it's not that complex <laughs> <'Cause I'm doing laughs> day in and day out. Um, but there is a lot of pretty accurate information on the Internet, Internet about choosing the entity. The part where if you're starting a, uh, starting a company where you probably want to bring in a professional is when you get to the um, operating agreement or whatever the governing document is. That's that's how, especially if you have multiple people, that determines how you're going to resolve certain situations, who owns how much, who gets what type of percentage of the profits, that sort of stuff. So you might want a professional for that. Um, but there is a lot of good education out there regarding just selecting the entities and things to consider and things like that. But again, me being a professional and knowing this, I'm obviously, obviously going to say go to the experts. Um, but um, yeah, so in selecting, there is good information out there in creating an operating agreement. There's not the ones online often are are very lacking. Um, yeah, I wonder. Yours, yeah, there. I don't want to knock. I don't want to knock any like any of the entities or the online entities. You know, I don't want to knock them and say don't use them, but. I understand that they're probably fairly surface level. And so when I have an expert on here, I really want to know, like, what's, even if it costs a little bit more, like, what's the true best way to go about it? And I'm glad you mentioned the cost because people often, because the area of law I do is transactional, meaning that I don't litigate it. I also, we're not in court fighting or things like that. When you have litigation, it's like urgent because you've got deadlines, you got to respond, or you're just going to lose. So people are like, oh, I need an attorney. Uh, whereas for me, I'm like, my job is to try to set things up to where it's going to be um, where we're going to avoid lawsuits because we've thought about things that can go wrong. I have decided not in the moment, but well in advance while everything's calm, we decided how we're going to resolve that. And so that helps avoid the lawsuit. Um, but it still sometimes is I've got to convince people. They're like, oh, well, I don't really need it. Um, but it really is. And I'm probably going to mess this up. I always mess up euphemisms. <laughs> but it's the the pay. What is it? The. Uh, ounce of cure, a pound of a pound, ounce of prevention, or a pound of cure. I think that's what it is. See, I told you I was going to mess it up. But I do that all the time. Do Do you want to pay? You know, pay some money now, but it's help probably going to prevent issues going forward, or roll the dice and sure, maybe those issues won't happen. But if they do, it's going to cost you far more than it would to set it up properly uh, at the beginning. Yes, and the stress alone. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, maybe I'm. Maybe I'm alone in this, but I would rather spend a little bit more and have peace of mind than maybe I'm just not a gambler. Then roll the <laughs> dice and just feel like there's this looming potential of, you know, liability or a double tax, like all these things that I wouldn't know, but that I hear and I, you know, I mean, for goodness sakes, you know, Jersey Shore, Mike, the situation went to, to prison for, you know, tax evasion essentially. And it's like, I know that we are all entrepreneurs who are getting in this for the right reason. At least the listeners on my show are, I just know that the people who are attracted to our show are, are doing this for the right reasons, but there's still that fear that we're doing something wrong. And so that's why I'm just so glad that you're on the show, giving us some of these, you know, tips and tricks or advice. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Okay. So I feel like on the business entity kind of summary, talk to a professional, Think about those four, you know, taxation, liability, um, how it's managed and governed. And don't tell me. Fourth, uh, got to tell me. Transferability. How Transferability. can we That's sell right. That's right. So those are the things we want to consider when we're choosing an entity and talk to a professional. Take the extra step, put forth the extra dimes, go and chat with a professional. And what would be... I mean, you know, what, what do we do? We first go to Google and we type, who do I talk to? So what is the term? Are we looking for, you know, business entity lawyer? What is the right term we need to search for to find someone like you? You probably would search like business transaction attorney. Okay. Is like what it would be. Yeah. 
Okay, business and transaction. This is more than just like the entity creation. Typically a business transaction attorney, they can help with creation. They can help with, you know, partnership agreements, operating agreements. A lot of times they can also create or review kind of uh, vendor contracts and things like that. Okay. Um, I guess since we're kind of talking about this, this you, something you might want to think about is having an outside general counsel. And what that means is that a normal, like a large business, they're going to have a, a legal department and the head lawyer is the general counsel. The okay. things that they can handle internally, they'll handle. But sometimes the general counsel is just like the legal referee to where they say, look, like for me, we, we serve as general counsel sometimes. We don't litigate. So sometimes when a client comes and I say, look, this is a litigation matter. We're going to have to get a litigation at uh, attorney. And then we can guide them as to, you know, interviewing that person, finding that attorney. Um, so it doesn't mean that that person's necessarily going to handle all your stuff, but they're going to make sure that your legal issues are handled or that um, there are things put in place for that. And so typically, particularly if they're outside of your company, um, a lot like with us, we sometimes will have it to where it's a flat monthly rate and um, they get X amount of hours or certain services. Other times they'll just pay an upfront deposit or sometimes in law called a retainer. And then as we do work, we'll just pull from that okay. deposit and then they'll replenish it. So it's not to, to where you're gonna have to be paying this legal bill every single month necessarily, but knowing that you have somebody there that you can call up, it's gonna answer, that has an understanding of your business, because um, they're gonna be looking out not only for the things you're bringing to them, but for me, you know, when I hear about a new law or hear about a new case that affected somebody, I'm gonna reach out to those clients and say, hey, here's something we should be thinking about. Maybe it's not super urgent now, but we should put this on our radar because it's something that we probably should address at some point. Yeah, it just like having someone on deck, be, you know, when we, when we need it, we don't want to be because you might not be taking clients or you might be too busy or then you have a bunch of catch up to be like, well, mm -hmm. what is your whole business? I don't know anything about you. So um, that's a really good call. And what did you call that uh, general? Yeah, out, outside general counsel. General counsel. Okay. Yeah. Outside general counsel. <laughs> Love that. Good tidbit. Okay. So the next thing, actually last, anything on business entity that like we didn't touch on that we should before we move on to our next topic. I think I'm just going to emphasize again, you really do need to treat the businesses separately. Um, Cause you know, at least I see online, it's always get an LLC, get an LLC, start an LLC, all this, which I typically agree with. But the LLC does you no good if you're not doing your annual maintenance, if you're not doing the stuff that you're required to keep that business separate. One of the things with that is that it needs to have its own separate bank account as well. And mm. so you don't mix business funds with personal funds. Otherwise, again, when it's time to pay the bills, we're going to mix personal funds with business funds and use the personal funds to pay the bills as well. Gotcha. Gotcha. So if somebody is has multiple LLCs, they need to really, truly treat both of them equally. You can't just have this leather one over here, redheaded chip step, stepchild <laughs> LLC that you're not doing anything with just to protect yourself. Like you got to truly treat it just as equally. Yep. Awesome. Okay. I love this. I feel like I'm going to have to go back and re-listen this episode <laughs> seven times, eight times. Because <laughs> um, this is so not a world that I live in. Um, luckily, I've had great, great people in my life and, you know, who's helped me through this. Um, but not everyone does. So I really know that a lot of people are getting some good notes right now. Okay. The next thing that I hear, I mean, I can't even count on both hands how many times I've heard this. Um, trademarking. Where do I go? Can I do it? Um, and I know that this is such, like you, we said before we, we started the episode, I know we could talk on each of these subjects for hours probably, but like on a general overview, what do we need to know about trademarking our brand now that we've invested in, we love it, we want to protect it. Like what are the ABCs for trademarking? All right. So a couple of things, and I'm going to tell you this, but I'll also say at the beginning, it's not my recommendation, but by simply using a mark in commerce, that's what we call it in trademark. Uh, the mark is the logo or the phrase or the name or the jingle or whatever it is, that, that thing that's identifying you. So by using the mark in commerce, you have what are called common law trademark rights. Um, using it in commerce just means you're using it for your business, essentially. And so by simply opening up shop uh, with, say, I've got Nick's Hardware Store. Um, by simply doing that, Nick's Hardware Store, I have what's called a common law tra uh, trademark. 
so I can prevent other people in my general region from doing that. So I'm based in LA. So if assuming there's not another Nix hardware store already, if I open that, I could basically say, hey, if there's a new Nix hardware store that tried to open, I can say, hey, I was here first. You're in my same region and I have a common law trademark. But nothing would stop somebody coming up to Washington and having Nix hardware store or even going up to the Bay Area and having Nix hardware store. So if I want to have Nix hardware store across the nation, um, then I have to register that mark. And registration is the only way to get nationwide protection. Registration is a very slow process right now, like extremely slow. Um, so essentially the what you initially do or how we do it is we'll do what's called a knockout search. And basically we're searching the USPTO. Uh, USPTO is the United States Patent and Trademark Office. That's the uh, US agency that handles patents and trademarks. Um, so we search the USPTO's uh, database to see if there's any marks that are the exact same or similar. Um, and so we do a search there. Then we also use some other databases and, and systems that will just search like websites and state entity filings and all sorts of stuff because that's what the USPTO is going to be doing as well. Before they're going to register your mark, they're first going to make sure, let's make sure this isn't somebody else's mark first or that it's not too close to somebody else's mark um, because we don't want to register one that's going to confuse people. So an example that I use for confusion, uh, for instance, um, have you watched uh, Coming to America? The old, no. Old old show? Oh, you got to watch it. It's great. Okay. Okay. This I need a new show. Right so, I need a new show. So Coming to America. Okay. It's an old movie. It's Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall back in like the 80s. Oh, that's um, funny. But, okay. But in there, there this uh, part of it's kind of uh, surrounded by a restaurant. And so the restaurant is called Mc, McDowell's. Not McDonald's, McDowell's. And so there's a scene in there where he's like, yeah, you know, the people from McDonald's keep messing with me. They think we're infringing uh, because they have the golden arches. We have the golden arcs. And then he's like, they're McDonald's, we're McDowell's. Uh, they have the Big Mac, we're the Big Mick. And so they're not doing the same thing at all. So they're not specifically infringing on their mark, but they're doing what the law calls, uh, they're being confusingly similar, which can be uh, considered inf infringement. Because they're not, if they're using McDonald's specifically, then of course that's infringement. But also things that are kind of would make people think of McDonald's or confuse people to think that McDonald's is the one behind this, then that also would uh, be a reason for denial of your registration. So we're searching, we start out searching for things like that to where we're looking for the exact mark and then variations that are kind of close uh, because that's what the USPTO is going to do is they're going to see, okay, is this clear? Is this distinctive? Are there other people using it? Is it close to the marks that other people are using? And if so, then we're not gonna register that mark. Um, now, one cool thing started, I think it was 2020 when it started. Um, there used to be just the main trademark register. And so you'd say, I have a registered trademark and you're good to go. But now they also, they have what they call the principal register, which is the main one. And then the, I think it's either secondary or supplemental register. And so, before what would, what would happen if your mark was confusingly similar then it would just be denied and you wouldn't be able to register at all now with the supplemental register essentially they're saying okay we'll give you this mark but you don't have any rights against those people that we already called out that we think mm. you're confusingly similar for whereas if i had a full fully registered mark i could theoretically go after those people and say hey your mark's too close to mine so the uspto says look we'll let you register but you can't go after those people that are that we already that were going to be the reasons why you wouldn't have been able to register in the first place. Okay. But it's a long process. So we when do you our say long. Are we talking years? Are we talking months? We're talking at least a year and potentially okay. years. Okay. So we do the search. Then if we come back and we're like, yeah, there's a few things, but we think we'll be able to argue around it or it won't be a huge issue. We tell the client whatever things we're seeing that we think that might make it not register. But if they say, you know what, let's go for it anyway. Then we submit the application. Um, one thing to note with the application, you have to have what's called a specimen, which basically is an example of you using the mark. Mm -hmm. um, and it can't be just a like a picture of it. It's got to be you actually using it. So if you are, um, say, a clothing company, you, they would want a picture of the tags on your shirts, not not a shirt with the logo on it. They'd want to see the tag or some or like a packaging or something like that. Because um, the logo would just be um, uh, a design and not necessarily yeah. how you're using it. 
if we're talking like about signage maybe would work or signage would work if we're talking about uh service industries business cards brochures um website if you if you print out the website showing the date it was printed out that sometimes can work as well but they want to see how is it that you're actually using this mark um now some people might say well you know i don't have my logo done yet because i haven't worked with you yet um <laughs> or they're quite not not quite sure maybe they just have a name they're like yeah i want this name I'm not exactly sure when I'm gonna actually be using it. You can do what's called an intent to use application. Hmm. Meaning you're saying, I'm filing this now, I'm not using it, but I'm intending to use it. And so you'll go through the same process and instead at the end, instead of saying your mark is registered, they'll give you what's called a notice of allowance. Meaning they're saying, hey, we'll allow you to register, but you just gotta show us you're actually using it. And so then if you do get that notice of allowance, um, I believe you have, you have six months to show that you're using it, but I believe you have about five uh, six-month renewals. The renewals cost like 100 bucks, um, but essentially you give yourself about two or three years to actually start using it. And so that's one thing that you can do if you're not actually using it, but you're like, I want to placehold this registration right now, you can do an intent to use application. Um, but in either way, you do the knockout search, you file the application, then right now it's taking them about nine to 12 months to actually get an examiner on it. So we file it and it just sits there for months and months and months and months. Okay. And then uh, they will go through and kind of do a similar process of what we've done. And if they say, oh, we think this mark is similar or whatever issue they, they find that um, they might use to not register it, they're gonna let you know and they're gonna send you what's called an office action. And basically they're saying, hey, we're not denying you just yet. We got some questions, but these are the things right now that we're pondering over that are making us say, no, we're not going to register it. And so mm -hmm. then you can respond to the office action and say, no, this is not confusing similar because here's why or whatever arguments we have. And if they accept it, then they might say, OK, cool, we're resolved and uh, they'll move forward. Or they might say, no, nope, still don't buy it. Many times it will give you one more chance to convince them. But the weird thing about it is you're trying to convince the person who already has said, yeah, we don't think this should be registered, but tell me why you think I'm wrong. And yeah. most people don't like to be told why they're being wrong. So it's a weird <laughs> delicate walk you're doing because I can see you that. this is a ridiculous argument because you're arguing it to the person who made that ridiculous argument, but you uh, kind of um, formally or in a proper way have to show, show them that, hey, this argument's ridiculous and here's the reasons why this doesn't make so much sense. So hopefully you'll believe me and move this forward. And so yeah. if they do say, yes, we're ready to register or sometimes they might not have any issues and they'll say, yeah, move forward. What happens next is they will, um, pub they'll first give you notice of publication saying, hey, we don't have any issues with your mark. So we are about to publish this. Uh, so when they publish it, they have the official trademark gazette. It's their newspaper. And basically, they publish all the marks for 30 days uh, that they're planning to allow to be registered. And the reason that they do that is that they're giving everybody in the world, or at least in the country, notice um, where if you really were concerned about your mark, you could read that thing every month or whenever they publish it to make sure there's nothing that's close to yours. If you see a mark in there, you're like, wait. They they have them, but they only they've got three eyes. And you might say <laughs> too close, but then you can protest and try to get that mark um, not registered. So it'll be published for thirty days. Assuming that there's no protest, then they're either going to uh, register it or give you that notice of allowance if you're doing the intent to use. So that's the timeline. Um, like I said, it's right now we're they're typically taking us at least like eighteen months, and sometimes a little bit longer, or maybe at yeah. least like sixteen months, and maybe a little bit longer. But it's worth it. I mean, so sure. I guess my brain goes to like what maybe listeners are thinking is what if I don't trademark my brand? Like, what are the things that I'm risking? You know, you had mentioned, you know, a lot of listeners are likely national brands, right? So you're talking about protecting your brand. And I know you're just using examples, but maybe in just your area. But what about brands like myself that are national? How do they protect themselves, not just from their area? And if they don't go through this process, what happens if somebody else wants them or what somebody else wants, you know, what have you, like how, what's the chain of command, should I say? Yeah. So if you don't register, it's going to be difficult to stop other people from using it in their, in their region, assuming it's not a region that you're operating in. Now with the online world, it's very unclear because theoretically a local business that's online is all across the country. But in most cases, they're gonna still tie it to your local region, not just because mm -hmm. you had a couple sales somewhere. 
So a couple of things that you can't, well, number one, I'd say register it, try, try to do it because that solves a lot of the issues. But some things that you can do, some states have state uh, trademarks. And so you could register in the state. And so it protects you in your whole state, but doesn't protect you in other states unless you registered there. So state registered marks uh, could work. Um, that would be the main thing, because if you don't register it nationally, then other people can't come in, assuming you were using it before they registered it and using it before they use it, they can't stop you from registering or can't stop you from using it, but they can stop you from registering. And so um, this is one, if we're talking about, you know, passion and purpose, one thing that I wanted to um, mention that of a, like a, a mistake or not even a mistake, but something that I would have done earlier is to think of my business more long-term and make decisions instead of for like today or next week or next month or even this year, make decisions that are going to last me, you know, a decade and two decades and things like that. Because there's nothing that I've, you know, put myself into a bad position, but there are things that I could have done if I'd been thinking more long-term and, and believing in myself that, yeah, this business is going to last, um, that I might've done differently versus, you know, when I started, I was like, Ooh, I don't know if we're going to make it this month. So you don't <laughs> need to make the long-term decisions, but um yeah so think about it long term and if you're thinking long term then you know your business might you might want your business to grow and not having a registered trademark can um make that difficult to grow outside of your area and and stop people from using the same or similar marks yeah and i i know enough to be dangerous and i could just be flat out wrong so totally like negate anything i say if i am that <laughs> but one of the things so talking about you know having some foresight with your brand and where you're going or where you want to go and believing in yourself i love that you said that because that's huge um but one of the things that i see in this like trademark trademark and um branding world is what's happening right now like think jamba juice has gone to jamba Panera bread has gone to Panera. You know, there's so many, and I, I could ramble off a bunch of examples, but the this the legal, like what you can trademark has to be, this is what I was told, like Panera bread can't trademark bread because it's clear in the name that it's bread. But Panera in itself doesn't say that we sell bread. So it's vague enough that you could trademark it. Like, Meredith's waxing can't trademark Meredith's waxing because in the name itself says what they do. Is that, can you, am I, I'm, am I skewing this? You're, bit? you're, you're on the right, you're on the right path. Okay. So you can't trademark something that's merely descriptive. So yeah. Meredith's, what did you say? Waxing or wall, yeah. whatever. Meredith's cookie store. Yes. If Meredith has a cookie store, you can't trademark that because it's like, yeah, that's, you're just telling me what it is. So it, it can't be just merely descriptive. So an, an example of that, and par, so part of that depends on what you're doing and what your industry is. So if we think of, if we're thinking about a farm, if I wanted to trademark apple, apple orchard, I couldn't do that because the apple is what it is. But yeah. then we think about electronics, up until Steve Jobs, Apple had nothing to do with electronics. So you can, you can uh, trademark Apple uh, computers because it's not describing what it is. Whereas if we were doing it with an orchard, I'm describing to you what my business is and that's not trademarkable. Yeah. So when we're, and I brought that up because when I'm working with clients who are like, Ooh, I want, cause, and I think it's, I see both sides of the advice when people say, Oh, well, you want your business to be descriptive. You want people to know from the name what you do, but to your point, if your goal is ever to expand or if you don't want to be limited by your name, you want to think beyond that one thing you sell. If you if you want to one day sell cupcakes and cakes, but you're Meredith's cookie store, think about you know the, the limitations you have both on trademark and protecting yourself and creating something bigger and what people expect of you. I think that was a little bit of a deviation from the legal world, but like my brain went there. So I had to go there. Yeah, no, it, it was, wasn't too far off. <laughs> good, good. Awesome. Um, now you, I heard you say it several times with both the business entity conversation we had and trademark, you had mentioned several times, you know, this is what we do. So listeners who are tuned in and they're like, okay, I actually need to talk to Nick. I'm assuming these are things that you guys have open space to help people walk through and, and actually do the application for, or how does it work when they're working with you on either the business entity development or the trademark application? Yeah, so we do both of those, do them a lot. I'm sure there's probably 
probably on this call, there's probably going to be two or three businesses formed uh, from the team uh, while we're on this. So entities right. we're doing day in, day out constantly. Trademarks we're doing at least on a weekly basis for the most part. Um, so yeah, I'll just reach out to us. What we typically do is we'll do an introductory conversation to kind of tell the services that we offer and get an idea of kind of what you might be needing. And then from there, um, you'd let us know kind of when you're ready to pull the trigger. Um, most of our stuff, at least the like business stuff, entities, trademarks, things like that, that we do a whole lot, we just charge flat rates um, so that um, you, you'll know exactly what it is versus hourly. And you're like, I don't know if yeah. it's going to be thousands of dollars or hundreds of dollars. So you'll know upfront um, our pricing for those kind of core services that we're doing day in and day out. Because we've done, um, done them enough. We have enough systems in place to where we can know within a general range how much time and effort it's going to take for us. So we can give a flat rate for a lot of that stuff. Fantastic. I just wanted to make sure that people understood because you're giving really great advice and sometimes people are experts, but they're like, oh, well, we don't really do that. So <laughs> I want to make sure that people know they can turn to you because you are just, just the tip of the iceberg on the knowledge that I know you have. So I wanted to just touch on that. And so the next, and I, and I, I believe too, um, this next topic about raising funds, you know, Kickstarters, GoFundMe's or whatever, right? People who are like, okay, I have this invention and I need to get some believers behind me, some investors, you know, that, that is another question that I get commonly asked and I don't have a good answer for it. And so I wanted to pose the question to you when someone's starting, they don't have money, they don't have capital, they don't even know what capital is what are the first steps and where how would we work with someone like you to help our dream come true so i think part of it depends on you know what the business is and how much capital you're needing um because you know there's lots of local state city county grants for businesses um i have my my um my sister and cousin just went through like it was like an incubator to where they taught them probably a lot of stuff we're talking about right now. So they had people come in, trained them, taught them stuff, showed them how to do a business plan, help them with a marketing plan, that sort of stuff. And then also once they go through that program, they are getting like a couple thousand dollars or something for as seed money for their business. So nice. and I'm sure there's lots of programs like that kind of wherever you're at, multiple programs. So depending on how much you're needing, look locally because, you know, local municipalities want businesses in their area. Um, and so sometimes they got money and grants that are available uh, for that. Uh, another we, before, what? sorry, what would someone search for that? You know, like, do I look for local investors, local grant money for business startups? Like what would be good? And I know this sounds so silly probably to you, but for, for listeners who are just know nowhere on how to begin, like what would be a good search thing we'd look for? Yeah. So me being in LA, I probably would, uh, search like LA business grants. LA mm -hmm. business um, financing, uh, or maybe LA city. So it's it's government financing kind of stuff. Um, and that'll probably start getting you into the right types of links. Um, okay. They have this money, most municipalities have this money available and they want people to know about it and to give it away. So it should, if they're doing what they should be doing, it shouldn't be too tough, too tough of a search, I don't think. Okay, perfect. So yeah, looking for grants, I'd say is one first step, depending on how much you're needing. Um, another option is loans, the SBA, Small Business Administration. They have uh, pretty favorable loan products. Um, I think you can go up to like $25 million. Um, yeah. And a lot of them, the thing that makes them uh, beneficial is that the government, I think they guarantee like 80% of it. And so for the actual lender, like the bank, they're like, oh, great, at least 80% of this money I'm going to get for sure. Um, and then for you as the business owner, a lot of times you're only required to put maybe 10% down. And uh, so you're able to get in at a pretty lower uh, down payment than many other loans. And your rate's probably going to be a little bit lower than a typical business loan would be as well. Um, so SBA is a good place to look if you're looking for financing to take out uh, debt for it. Um, but then you were talking about crowdfunding, Kickstarter, raising capital, investors, all that sort of stuff. So this is one thing that we do a whole lot of. Uh, we primarily do it in the uh, real estate industry, but we do have uh, startups, companies, businesses that we do it for as well. So one thing I want to differentiate is uh, the difference between a equity crowdfund and a prize crowdfund. So if we're thinking about Kickstarter and GoFundMe and all those things, those are prize crowdfunds, meaning essentially a lot of times what people do is they'll pre-sell whatever their offering is or just get 
true believers that want to support it, that are giving money and they're going to get some stickers and a mug and things like that. Be the uh, first. <laughs> yeah. Or maybe like a discount when it comes out, things like that. But you're not actually a business owner. You're having zero interest in the company. Those are not super highly regulated. So if you go on one of those platforms, you can do that and you're pretty much good to go. Um, don't lie, no fraud, no misleading. But other than that, not a whole lot of uh, legal issues to deal with. Now, instead, if you are saying, hey, I want actual investors and they're going to have some sort of interest or ownership in this company, then you run into a whole other big world of potentially much more complex regulations. So kind of the simplest way to think about it is that if you have an investor uh, who is a passive investor, meaning their goal is they're like, I want to write you a check and then I want you to eventually write me back a bigger check. So they don't plan to do any work. They're just going to let give their money to you and let you do the work then it's likely that you are selling a security. Um, one way to think about securities or the more common securities are stocks. You know, when we're buying stocks in the stock market, those are securities. Um, so the law says if you're selling a security, you either have to register that security or have an exemption from registration. And so registration is, you've heard about IPOs, initial public offerings when companies go public, or SPOCs, which is like special purpose acquisition company, I think. That's basically, you wanna go public, but instead you just buy a company that's already public, so you, it's a little bit more streamlined. But either way, very expensive and very time consuming. So we help people with exemptions. And so um, our clients that are trying to raise capital, we figure out what are they trying to raise, how much they're trying to raise, um, who are they raising it from? And that's going to let us know which exemptions from registration might uh, might uh, fit for them. And so with those exemptions, there's a lot of documents, a lot of disclosures and filings and things like that that we have to do. Um, but we help them navigate that and make sure that they're compliant with that. Okay. So it really, I mean, it really just depends on the type, the need for the, the funds, yeah, right? Yeah, you've got it, lots of options. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I have, you know, some people who come and they just literally need money to create the product, right? They have a, they have an invention, they have an idea, and they need the actual money to create it versus, you know, a service-based business who needs money for, you know, marketing or branding or what have you, right? Mm -hmm. So it just sounds like there are definitely options. It just depends on what the intent is for the, for the funds. Yep. On how to go about it. Okay, awesome. Awesome. Nice. Well, this has been so much, so much good stuff. Like I said, I'm definitely like so much of it goes over my head, which is why, cause I'm not a legal person. So I love, I love that you're here. Um, I did, I find something fascinating, fascinating about your brand and I love it. And I wanted to hear a little bit more about this and how you tie it into your, your internal culture and how people experience you as clients or customers, or even, you know, just people listening today, you preach relationships first. What does that truly mean to you and to polymath legal? Yeah. So one thing I will say is that um, we just like a week or two ago uh, got official notice that relationships first is now mine. It's trademarked. Um, yes! So yeah, love I that. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, just very recently. Um, so yeah, relationships first. I I was just when I was starting my company over a decade ago, I was kind of thinking about how law is practiced and it's very transactional, basically give me the money, do this, do that, like not really caring is what it felt like. And so I was like, I want my firm to be one. I want to have clients that I actually care about because also I'm probably going to like working with them more as well. Um, I want clients that at the time I was brand new. So I was like, I want clients that are either new or established and I want to grow with them. And so for me, I was like, you know, as thinking about kind of the, at the time, maybe I didn't have a ton of successes, but I was thinking about the successes or the breakthroughs and things that I had gotten in life. And it's like every time it stemmed from a relationship and when I'm like uh, putting that back into, you know, thinking about the firm and wanting to practice law differently, I was like, I think I want to practice law in a way where I'm putting relationships first. And I was like, ah, relationships first. There we go. Um, so, yeah, that's still what we do. I have clients that I started with at the very beginning that I'm still with now. Um, and we're thinking about relationships first. We really are, obviously, we're their lawyer and we don't work for free. This is a business, but we want them to feel like, hey, we're part of your team and we're not just looking at you as another billable hour or, you know, another payment, but we actually yeah. care about you and your business and your company and we're looking out for you. 
Um, so an example of that, actually just yesterday I had a client that um, I was uh, texted her. I was like, hey, we need this because the deadline's tomorrow. And we, you know, we've been asking for like a month or two now. So we really need this and we're going to have to start over. And she texted back. She's like, oh, so sorry. I didn't see that. I'm in Texas. I'm dealing with family. Um, um, I'll get it to you. And so I was just like, hey, I didn't realize you were in Texas. I was like, is everything okay? What can we do for you? Is there something back here at home that we can take care of for you since you're gone? And so things like that, it, and part of the reason, I don't do that with every client, but um, with clients that I'm able to actually really build that relationship with, I'm like, I know her. Um, we you know don't hang out a ton, but I feel like she's like a friend or family member. So I was genuinely concerned that she's like, hey, I was sorry I missed this. I was out of town dealing with family stuff. And I'm like, oh, what's, what's going on? Like, I yeah. hope you're okay. What can I do to help? And so I want to build relationships like that with all clients. And we do build that type of relationship with a lot, but that's kind of the types of things that we're thinking about is that, you know, we obviously we are lawyers and attorneys, but we want to feel want you to feel like we are part of your team and that we are not just here for the billable hour, the money, but we're here because this is a relationship that we're investing into as well. Yeah. Okay. And I want to ask, how do you ensure, because you have a team, you have, you know, you've grown, you have a team, you have people. How do you ensure? Because I think, you know, that one, it's something you've instilled as a part of something that matters to you personally, but you know, that comes innate to you. I, one, I know you and you've always been a relationships person, right? You've always cared about the people around you. And that, that literally emits from you, right? So that's something very innate in you. How do you protect their brand to through all through your growth and through the people that you also have on your team? Is that something you, um, you know, seek out for in the hiring process? Is it like, how do you make sure everyone on your team lives that value? Yeah, I think it's, it's both the hiring and training. Um, so part of it is I am trying to see, you know, do I get those vibes from them when I'm uh, interviewing them? And then with the training, and sometimes it's not even so much training saying, hey, build a relationship kind of thing, but more so I will show them what I'm doing. So for instance, here another example of a relationship person, or maybe even just being a good business person. Um, part of with growth, you're going to have growing pains. And so there was one client, we had done a couple of deals with them before, and we're doing a new one and had some new people on the team that were dealing with it. And we just had more mistakes than I would want to see. Nothing that we couldn't fix or go back, but I was just like, this is not what I would want. And so um, at the time, now we kind of typically will charge deposits in full up front. But at the time, they made a small deposit and then the bulk or more of it was going to be due once we finished everything. And I just said to the client, I said, you know, this was not the experience that we want to give. And I, and I let my team know that as well. I was like, this is not the experience that we want to give. Um, so you've got a remaining balance on your invoice, but just don't worry about that because I didn't provide the service to you that I would want. So uh, just go ahead and waive that. And I let all the team know. And I wasn't mad at them, but I was like, hey, guys, we got to make sure that we don't do these things because we're losing money for this. This is money that we should have and could have earned, but we didn't deliver like we're supposed to. So we are not going to get that money and we can't do that over and over again. So things yeah. like that lets them know, hey, he really actually cares about this so much that he's literally putting his money where his mouth is. Um, right. But the, the lesson from that too, though, is I'm working on a deal with that client right now. Yeah. Um, because again, it helps them know, hey, I'm in this with you. And if I'm not doing what I'm supposed to do, I'm going to try to make it right as best as I can. I think relationships first is a protection, you know, and you literally are in legal, like it is all about protecting. And so not only am I going to protect you for the paycheck, I'm going to protect you because I see you as a human that I care about. Like to me, that's what I get from this, this concept of relationships first in, in conjunction of your world. Yep. Yep. Totally. I love it. Well, I just think that <laughs> when we think about lawyers and we think about what they're going to be talking about, like seriously, when you go and you check out your social, I mean, relationships first is everywhere. It's such an important value to you. And I love that we feel that from your brand, you know, within a few swipes of consuming your content. So I just applaud you for that. <laughs> and I applaud you. you for just prioritizing it too, because, you know, like so many others, it's just a transaction. Yep. So I, I thank you so much. This so many good tips in this. So not tips, just value golden nuggets. So many golden nuggets in this episode. I want to make sure. Obviously, in the show notes, we'll have links to reach Nick. Um, I know you're on social. I see you. You've got a lot of stuff. So tell the listeners the best way to get a hold of you 
And if there, I don't know if you have any sort of, you know, offers that kind of get started with you or what's a good kickoff point? Yeah. So on socials, you can find me at Nick, the lawyer, uh, Nick with no case. So that's NIC, the lawyer. Um, that's where I'll be at most socials. Um, you can also reach out to us, have all of our contact information on our website. It's www.polymathlegal.com. It's P-O-L-Y-M-A-T-H-L-E-G-A-L.com. Um, and we do offer free initial 15 minute consultations. So where we'll talk about what we do, what your needs are, go over pricing process procedure, that sort of stuff. If you've got specific advice you're looking for, we also offer paid strategy sessions as well. And then uh -huh. whatever other wor uh, work that you need, if it's something that falls under our purview, then we're happy to help you out with that. Awesome. Well, again, I appreciate you coming on, being my first expert. And I'm, I'm so glad that I got a friendly face to do this with. Um, I really, really appreciate it. And um, guys, we will talk to you next time. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Passion on Purpose podcast. I truly hope you got a lot of value out of this episode. So if you did, please rate, review, and share. If you are interested in being a guest on the show, whether a leader or an expert, please go to getvim.com forward slash podcast, and you will find our application page or reach out to me directly and I can give you more information. 